Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for November 15th, 2017. We've got a full 11-game slate, so we'll just jump right into it here. First game, Utah Jazz at the New York Knicks. And something that Matt and I were talking about the other night is with Rudy Gobert off the floor, this is just not going to be a very good Utah Jazz defense. The Jazz give up seven more uh, seven more points per 100 possessions without Rudy Gobert on the floor. It's the difference between them being a top-five defense in the NBA and a bottom-five defense in the NBA. And their defense was terrible against the Timberwolves the other night. They got destroyed, but unfortunately got destroyed to the point where the offense wasn't able to stay on the floor either. So we have a spot tomorrow for the Knicks uh, against the Knicks. Derek Favors all the way up to 5,600. I think that's a bit too expensive for him, so I'm off him. I think Ricky Rubio is a kind of interesting GPP play at 6,700. It's a decent matchup, and nobody's going to want to roster him coming off that other game, and that's a pretty cheap price for Rubio. Other than that, nobody, I think, that interesting from the Utah Jazz. Then from the Knicks side of the game, we have Kristaps Porzingis at 8,900. I think he's in play. Not necessarily my favorite play on the slate, but I think he's doable. And then same with Tim Hardaway Jr. at 6,400. I just think that Hardaway has been priced too cheap for a lot of the year. To me, he's an over 7,000 price player, and this is not really a particularly difficult matchup. Well, Porzingis definitely benefits more from Gobert not being available than Hardaway does, because even if Gobert wouldn't be guarding Porzingis directly, he's doing a lot more of his damage from rebounds and at the rim. Uh, the player that probably does benefit the most, though, is Ennis Cantor, because that's the direct matchup. He'll now be guarded by Ekpe Udo or... Derek Favors or Jonas Jerebko, but overall, yeah, it's it's a worse defense by a lot. And just looking at the box score from that Wolves game from the other night, the Timberwolves shot 52% in Utah, so definitely a poor defensive game. But it was it was kind of surprising that the Jazz didn't really play at that fast of a pace. Um, it wasn't really a high possession game, so even though both teams shot sort of well, at least the Wolves did. Uh, we only saw a final score of 109 to 98. The tempo in the game prior to that with Utah against Brooklyn um, was a faster tempo. So I think we had this analysis going into the game that we'd see a much higher pace without Gobert on the court, and that didn't really happen. But at the same time, you could also make the case that that was because Ricky Rubio just played really poorly and didn't really get any minutes in the second half. So in a normal game, I think the pace does still go up a bit without Gobert being there because the Jazz are playing more small ball and Rubio on the court should help that. So I'm not really concerned about the pace being slow, but I am a little concerned. There the pace are, is going to be slow. The, the Jazz just play at a really slow pace. They definitely play slow, but I was thinking they'd play less slow, I guess, if without uh, Gobert there just because they have smaller players on the court. But that doesn't really seem to be what's going on. It's just more that the Jazz are playing worse on defense without Gobert. And then there are a couple other guys from Utah that are cheap that I'm curious what you think of. Uh, Jonas Jarebko was a surprise starter for last game. He's only at 3,700. We liked Sefalosha in that matchup. He's only at 4,000. And then uh, I forgot what Donovan Mitchell's priced at. He's up to 6,100, and he was really good in his last game. So probably a no-go on Mitchell. But what about the uh, cheaper Utah guys? It kind of depends who's starting. So let's see. Jarebko played how many minutes? Jarebko only played 24 minutes in that game. I think he's okay, but on an 11-game slate, there's probably going to be better value options than Jonas Jarebko, who probably is going to play a ton of minutes and isn't very good. Yeah, that that makes sense. And then Cephalosha, I don't think, actually ended up starting. Um, So that makes him kind of unplayable. But this also, it's not that great of a matchup 
against the Knicks. It's not like the matchup that they just had against Minnesota. Part of the reason we liked those fringe guys for Utah last game was because of how bad the Wolves are defensively. So overall, I think this game becomes sort of a fade, but I do like Porzingis and Cantor and Hardaway for some consideration. All right, so next game on the slate, we have the Washington Wizards at the Miami Heat. So something that Matt and I were talking about before is John Wall's price has gone way down. Matt was actually looking at his prices from last year. And I think, what would you say, Matt? This is the cheapest price for John Wall and DraftKings since January of last year? Yeah, it's the first time that he's been priced below 9000 since mid-January of last year. Yeah, so I think that there is upside in Wall. I don't think that he's a great play overall just because the Miami Heat are one of the tougher defensive teams on point guards for fantasy production. And also, John Wall just has massive home road splits where he's like scoring like five, six, seven, something like that, more points at home on his career versus on the road. He just had, he shoot, He's a 35% three-point shooter at home for his career and 29% on the road. So he, for whatever reason, just doesn't shoot well on the road. So at 8,700, I think that he's in play just because of the cheap price tag for him. But it's still hard for me to call it a great value just because of the matchup and the home road splits for him. And then from the Miami side of the game, see what their prices are. Hassan Whiteside at 8000 I think there's some upside there. And then nobody else who I'm really interested in. I just think it's kind of a lot of fair prices and then also kind of like a marginal point total expected for this game. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good spots on this slate. There's a lot of games on the slate. So I don't think we have to really reach too far here and look at too many players because it it should be a fairly low scoring game. I agree with you that even though Wall is cheaper than he's been, the home road splits are concerning and then it's just not an easy matchup. Uh, so Whiteside is sort of intriguing, but I think I'm probably just going elsewhere entirely. All right. So next game, just two really shitty teams, the Sacramento Kings at the Atlanta Hawks. One thing that I do think is pretty interesting from the Kings side of the game is uh it was George Hill. They were playing against the Wizards in the last game. George Hill actually had his best game of the season. He scored, uh, what was it, 27 DraftKings fantasy points in 25 minutes. He had 16 points. He scored almost all of them in the first half. After the game, George Hill was talking to reporters, and he admitted that he has not been playing very hard this year. And he said that he thinks it's an issue for the team, and he's going to start playing harder going forward. Uh, I think that's a narrative I could buy into a little bit. Uh, it definitely, to the eye test to me, it seemed like George Hill was pretty disinterested. And then to see him say that, hey, I wasn't trying very hard and I'm going to try harder going forward. So to see somebody like George Hill, who's been a solid player in the past, all the way down to 3,900, I think that he's a usable play in this matchup because he's going up against uh, Dennis Schroeder, one of the worst defensive point guards by defensive real plus minus last year. And then still from the other side of the game, I like Dennis Schroeder at 6,800. He's had a couple of bad games in a row. One was a blowout and then one just he didn't play very well. But overall, he's been really solid this year, really consistent. And 6,800, I think that's the cheapest he's been this year. Uh, he's been usually around the 7,000 mark. Yeah, this is the first time he's been below 7,100. So 6,800 for Schroeder, I think that's a really solid price point for him. And then we kind of have to pay attention for what Atlanta does with the rest of their starting lineup because Ursan Eliasova's back now. Um, we have Mike Muscala still listed as doubtful, so he's probably not going to play. But I think if Ursan Eliasova starts, he makes sense at 3,800 also. Yeah, the other guy, uh, I agree with you on both points. The other guy to mention is, as always, for GPPs is John Collins, who still is priced below 5000 probably will have pretty low ownership after not a terrible game against the Pelicans. I think he had 20 fantasy points. Uh, but Collins is just such a high-variance pick that there's always it's always worth considering him at least. 
But as for Schroeder and George Hill, if you're buying into the narrative, I think that makes you less inclined to play Dennis Schroeder because if George Hill is going to be trying harder, he's probably also going to be trying harder on defense. So it becomes a harder matchup. I don't know how much weight to put on that exactly, but the better George Hill plays, the harder it'll be for Schroeder. So I think I'm... I do like both guys, but I don't necessarily think it makes too much sense to play both of them in GPPs because depending on what happens with George Hill, it could be either a very strong positive or a strong negative for Schroeder. I just think it's still too cheap of a price tag for Schroeder, though. And even in tough matchups, he's been pretty consistent over 35 fantasy points this year. So I'm not too concerned with the George Hill playing hard to the point where he'd be able to shut down Schroeder. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, I'd be more inclined to say that if you truly are rejecting this narrative and not playing Hill, then by default you should like Schroeder more. That's uh, that's probably the bigger takeaway. I I, uh, I could agree with that, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, oh, the only other thing I'd say with John Collins, I do think that uh, Ursan Ilyasova playing is going to cut into Collins' minutes a little bit because one of the reasons that Collins has gotten a couple more minutes in matchups recently is he's been playing power forward minutes alongside Dwayne Dedman. I think that probably completely evaporates now that Ilyasova's back in the picture. So I'm not going to be very interested in Collins for this matchup. Okay, yeah, that's probably fair. But Ilyasova, not confirmed, right? Uh, or he is expected to play? No, he was. Uh, he's playing. Okay, well, in that case... Less interested in Collins, um, but even as as Deadman's direct backup, there's still upside. But I guess it's also worth remembering that this is a very large slate. So Collins is a bit of a reach, maybe on a smaller slate. I'd be more interested in him. I kind of forgot that while making that analysis. So yeah, I'm with you. I'll, I'll be off Collins also, unless something changes with Ilyasova and the Hawks starting lineup. Okay, so next game, the Chicago Bulls at the Oklahoma City Thunder. There's no uh, no spread for this game right now because Carmelo Anthony is listed as questionable. Uh, I don't know why that would mean there can't be a spread. Carmelo Anthony, to me, is such a non-factor player in terms of contributing to wins. I think that he's, he's whatever. He's an okay player. Uh, definitely a better fantasy player than real-life player because he is the third option on the Thunder's offense. But he, he's not really contributing to a team winning, at least how he's playing right now this season. From the Chicago side of the game, there is some interesting value because um, uh, Justin Holiday has been ruled out for the game, uh, birth of his first child. So Chris Dunn at 4,900 is finally getting his first start with the Bulls. He's probably going to play almost the entire game, I would think, in this matchup. The Bulls very weak in the backcourt. So these the active players that the Bulls could play on the wing now are Chris Dunn, Jerry and Grant, Denzel Valentine, Kay Felder. And that's it. That is that is all of their backcourt players. We could see Chris Dunn get to close to 40 minutes in this game. And even if this is a blowout, which is fairly likely, Chris Dunn's still going to play. He's one of their young players. He's I think Dunn and Markkinen are probably the only two players on the Bulls roster right now that they think are pieces of the future. So Chris Dunn, I think, is a pretty strong play for tomorrow. And then from the Thunder side of the game, kind of have to pay attention to the Carmelo Anthony news. If he's out, Jerry, uh, Jeremy Grant is probably going to start at 4300 I think that's uh, a usable price for him. I wouldn't call it like great value, but I think it's decent value. Andre Robertson also at 3300 I think that there's some value there if Carmelo doesn't play because you're going to have to get a lot of minutes out of Robertson. And then Westbrook and Paul George, I think that they're both very risky plays because of the blowout potential. 
but they do have some upside for GPPs. And it's hard for me to say that just to be off Westbrook because he's played poorly, because I the upside to me for Westbrook is still there. I don't believe that he just totally sucks at basketball all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm with you. I have plenty of interest in rostering Russell Westbrook still. Maybe not if Melo ends up playing, but if Melo's out, extra usage for Westbrook. I think that that's definitely a spot to still consider. Uh, with the Bulls, the one guy who you didn't mention with their pieces of the future comment was Denzel Valentine. Do you think he's included there where he would play garbage time too, just because they want to get him minutes regardless of score? Because I agree with you on Dunn and Markin, and I think both of those guys are in play. Yeah, I think uh, I think Valentine's in play also. I just really like Chris Dunn for this game. But uh, yeah, Valentine's fine also. And then even if it's a thing where you think, hey, maybe it stays close, a combination of like a little stack of maybe like uh, Westbrook or Paul George. I don't know if I'd play Westbrook and Paul George together. Uh, maybe though, if Carmelo's out, uh, then them combined with maybe like Robertson and then like Denzel Valentine with uh, uh, with Chris Don. I think that that would be like a nice little game stack. Well, in general, I would think that Westbrook and Paul George are negatively correlated when they're on the court together, but because of the blowout potential. There's positive correlation just in that if the game is close, both of them will be playing at the end. So I have no problem rostering Westbrook and George together if it's within a game stack. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. Okay, so next game, Indiana Pacers at the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm probably not going to have interest in Indiana for this game. Let me just really quick check what Miles Turner's price tag is. Yeah, 6700 I think that's okay, but I think we could do better for a slate this large, especially in such a tough matchup against Memphis. From the Memphis side of the game, we have Mike Conley's questionable play with an Achilles injury. He's been battling Achilles issues for, I think it's like three years now. So the Grizzlies have been pretty cautious with Conley and Gasol due to their injury history. So I think there's a pretty good chance that we see no Conley tomorrow. If he sits out, it's a boost for Gasol. It's a boost for Tyreek Evans. And then really strong value on Mario Chalmers all the way down at 3,800. So I think there's a lot of value to be had on the Grizzlies in a plus matchup against the Indiana Pacers if Conley isn't able to play. Yeah, it seems like a game to just kind of avoid if Conley's playing. But in the case that Conley doesn't play, and I do agree that it's probably more likely than not that he sits, there are a lot of guys from Memphis to use. So Chalmers is the obvious one. Dylan Brooks, potentially. How much of a usage boost is it, though, for Marcus Gasol? Do we have information on that for just how much more he touches the ball, at least this season, right? Because Conley did miss part of last game. Yeah, I'll have to look. I mean, I could also just look at the on-off court numbers for them. I know that it was fairly substantial the last couple years. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how that's carried over this year because of Tyreek Evans' involvement. So we have Marcus Gasol. Yeah, it's, it's really been it's been a nothing for Gasol so far this year. In 116 minutes off the floor, he actually has a lower usage rate without Conley. So I, I, think, I think we could chalk that up to the inclusion of Tyreek Evans on the team. I would still say that I think it's a slight boost for Gasol just because of the last couple years of history, but not quite as big because they have another playmaker on the roster in Tyreek Evans. Okay, fair enough. But it is it is still a good matchup for Gasol at... Not that expensive of a price, so Memphis. Seventy five hundred. Yeah, it's a it's a decent matchup against Indiana. So even even without an additional boost for Conley's absence, I still think Gasol is usable. Tyreek Evans, Mario Chalmers, and maybe Miles Turner. I know you already mentioned you're kind of against that, but yeah, I think that there's no need to reach there. Gasol's a better play than Turner. If you're going to go for a center in that game, it's probably Gasol. 
All right, so next game we have the Toronto Raptors at the New Orleans Pelicans, and this is going to be a pretty interesting spot here. The Raptors are on the tail end of a back-to-back. They were up like 25 points against the Rockets not too long ago, except the Rockets come all the way back and they've cut it to an eight-point lead. So it looks like Toronto's going to have to be playing their starters deep into this game, and it's going to be a pretty tough night for them. So I think on the tail end of a back-to-back, there could be some fatigue issues here. The other thing also, Norman Powell, we don't know what his status is going to be. If he isn't able to play, uh, OG Onawabe started in place of Powell tonight. Uh, He's still at the minimum price. He's not having like a massive game by any means, except he's on pace to hit value. He actually might have hit value already. CJ Miles is having a monster game right now uh, without Powell. A lot of it's just because CJ Miles is chucking up shots like nobody's business. He took eight shots in four first quarter minutes. So if CJ Miles is going to take that many shots in limited playing time, then yeah, definitely. I think he's worth rostering. Either way, though, if Powell doesn't play, Miles is in play. Anawabe's in play for me. And then from, I, I mean, I think Lowry and DeRozan, they're also okay plays, but I don't really think like super strong plays. I just think guys that are in play, but guys that I wouldn't roster together. And then from the New Orleans side of the game, I think something to really keep an eye on is Rajon Rondo starting playing, uh, expected to play about 14 to 16 minutes. How is his involvement in the starting lineup going to affect the production of DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis? I am not a fan of Rajon Rondo at all. I think he murders the chemistry of teams. And also, he's going to kill the floor spacing. You need to have spacing around DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis for them to be able to operate in space and kind of get those really favorable one-on-one matchups against smaller defenders in the post. Because if we have Rajon Rondo on the floor not able to shoot on the perimeter, then defense are really going to be able to collapse on Cousins and Davis. And I think that could hurt some of the huge production they've had so far this year. So for me, I think that Davis and Cousins, it's hard to say that they aren't in play because of how good they've been. But I'll say that I'm going to have a lot less exposure to them to the field, and I don't think they're cash game playable just because of concerns of what Rajon Rondo is going to do to their production. I would think also that Rondo's presence drives up public ownership on the entire Pelicans team because most people think that Rondo is a decent or even better than that player. And maybe people actually use the Pelicans more with Rondo there. Uh, That definitely is the wrong way to look at it. I agree with your take, absolutely. So I think I'm off the Pelicans entirely. Drew Holiday becomes a lot less playable with Rondo there, of course, with less minutes and less time with the ball in his hands. But I I still think Davis could be worth using. He'll probably be lower owned than Cousins. Cousins was better than Davis last game. And it'll also be interesting to see how they stagger the minutes because Rondo will probably spend a lot more time on the court with one of them than the other. Uh, It's kind of hard to figure out which part of the rotation Rondo plays in and which, which guy that ends up being more with. So do you have, do you have any idea as to, you know, is Rondo playing four minute spurts? Is he playing eight minutes in a row to start the game and then eight minutes in the third quarter? No clue. Just, uh, he's listed as the, they haven't even officially said he's a starter just in the game notes. They have Rajon Rondo listed as starting point guard and Etuan Moore coming off the bench. So maybe that's something to just monitor because it does seem like a very murky situation for now, at least. All right, so next game we have coming up, Detroit Pistons at the Milwaukee Bucks. This is a really down-paced game. I want to see what the, by down-paced, I just, not really for particularly either team. It's just two slow-paced teams playing against each other. The pricing for Andre Drummond, he's all the way up to 9000 That seems pretty expensive for him. 
uh, Tobias Harris 6700. I just don't think there's any value in any of those Detroit price tags against the Bucks. And then from the Bucks side of the game, Giannis in play at 11,300. Let me see how many minutes Bledsoe's been playing. So Bledsoe 28, 31, 26. I think Bledsoe has some upside at 6300, but it's not really to me like a great player or anything like that. I don't think this is a game that I have that much interest in. Giannis always makes sense if you have the space to pay up for him in a lineup. But there's, I think there's going to be better guys to pay up for on the slate. Yeah, I think so too. It's um, it's not like it's the best matchup with two slow-paced teams. And then I think we still have to remember that there might be some slightly decreased usage for Giannis the rest of the season with Bledsoe on the roster. So we're probably both just a little bit down on Giannis going forward. It's hard to be too down on him just because of how good of a player he is but i agree with you there are better spots all right next game san antonio spurs at the minnesota timberwolves this is a back-to-back situation for the spurs we always have to pay attention to the spurs when they're in a back-to-back because they're always liable to end up resting players lamarcus aldridge hasn't had a game off this year it's possible that he gets off tomorrow uh Manu Ginobili was supposed to sit today, except it looked like Danny Green might have gotten hurt during the game. I haven't seen any information on that. So I think right now for the Spurs, the most interesting play to me by far, Patty Mills still at 4000 on DraftKings. He was just totally asinine to me. He just keeps putting up really big games for his price point, and the price is not moving on at all. For him to still be at 4000 that's a solid value play. And then from the Minnesota side of the game, we have Carl Anthony Towns at 8000 800, I think that's okay. I really like Jimmy Butler at 6,900. He's been much more involved in the offense, taking more shots over the last few games ever since he said that he wants to be more involved after shoot-around one day. So those two things, not a coincidence. Jimmy Butler at 6,900, I think he's a solid play, even against the Spurs. Uh, I think that we're going to see Butler get up closer to the 8,000 range in the coming weeks. Well, if Danny Green is actually hurt, That's got to be a potential boost for Jimmy Butler, right? Because Green is probably the primary defender that gets used on Butler. So how big of a matchup upgrade is that if it's Brandon Paul or Bryn Forbes or Kyle Anderson guarding him? I think it's a pretty decent upgrade. Danny Green's one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. And then I think that those other guys are just kind of undersized. And, you know, Butler's still obviously one of the better players in the league. And I, I think with his usage rate seemingly trending upward, it's it's a really it could be a really strong spot for for Jimmy buckets. Yeah, and then I guess if Green plays, maybe that makes it more likely that Ginobili is rested because he is now being called on to play the second half of the game. So I think we definitely will see someone sitting for the Spurs, whether it's Ginobili or Danny Green, or I guess it could be both, and then maybe even Lamarcus Aldridge. So we'll definitely have to monitor that for uh, for Jimmy Butler's matchup, and then I guess also just for what impact this has on the game as a whole too because the Spurs are a slow-paced team that plays really good defense but if a couple guys are out maybe the whole structure of the game changes all right next game on the slate Cleveland Cavaliers at the Charlotte Hornets we're talking about how I think that there's going to be some better players to pay up for than some of the other guys we mentioned LeBron James at 10,900 in this matchup he's probably going to be guarded by Nicholas Batum coming out of the gate Batum has been a really solid defensive player in the past this is his first game coming back from injury. I would assume that his conditioning isn't 100%. So LeBron at 10,900, I think that's a really solid play. Derek Rose still listed as questionable. I hope he never plays again. So we'll have to we'll have to see if that's the injury update prior to the game. 
Who knows? Maybe that'll happen. I feel like it won't, though. From the Hornet side of the game, as we're saying, Nicholas Batum, he's only down at 4,600. That's cheap for him. We just don't know how many minutes he's going to play at this point in time. He is starting, and he is going to have a minutes restriction. We just don't know how restrictive it is. So does, is he going to play 15 minutes? Is he going to play 20 minutes? Is he going to play 25 minutes? I would say that anything 25-plus probably puts good value on Batum at 4,600. Anything like 20 and below would probably be a stay away for me. And then we have Kemba Walker's a fine play. Dwight Howard's a fine play. This is just a really, really bad defense for the Cavaliers. So plus matchup for the Hornets. Uh, 219, second highest point total on the slate. It's it's a good spot for Charlotte. Well, I'm going to disagree with you on whether, on whether or not I want Derrick Rose to play. And it has nothing to do with whether or not I like Derrick Rose. Because if he plays, it's an easier matchup for Kemba Walker. So I'm hoping he's in so that Kemba has a better game. Uh, and then for Batum, yeah, if, if he's playing any reasonable number of minutes, I think even 20-plus at 4,600 is probably usable. But yeah, 25 and above makes him a very strong value play, so we'll have to see what the Hornets say about his minutes going into the game. Hopefully there's some announcement, so we have some idea of how much he is expected to play. Do you have interest in Dwight Howard here? I think just because of how bad the Cavs are defensively that Howard... Yeah, Howard... No, I, I mentioned Dwight. I like Dwight. Okay. I, think, I think it's just the Cavs are so bad on defense. It's such a plus matchup for everybody. And 7200 isn't really that steep of a price tag for Howard either. Yeah, so overall, it's definitely just a good spot for the Hornets playing a really, really poor defensive team in Cleveland. So I definitely like the Hornets a lot. And depending on what happens with Batum, I guess we, we aren't really quite sure which players exactly to target yet, but some of them for sure. All right, next game, Orlando Magic at the Portland Trailblazers. The Trailblazers have been one of the best defensive teams in the league this year, so I will be avoiding the Orlando Magic, who still have pretty inflated price tags. And then from the Portland side of the game, Damian Lillard at 8,900, that's pretty steep. McCollum at 7,000. I think for this matchup, I probably lean more towards McCollum than Lillard, but not really a ton of interest in either. And then we have Nurkic. I think he's worth a look in GPPs. We've seen him have some really big games. We've seen him have some really poor games this year also definitely can't use him in cash games but at 6700 he does have like that 45 plus DraftKings point capability so he's worth rostering in tournaments this is yet another blazers game we've seen a bunch of them recently where the total for the game has dropped significantly the night before it opened at 212 and is now at 210 is that the blazers playing slower are they playing bigger lineups this year or is the defense kind of just improving because i know nurkic has been weak defensively in the past, but maybe he's gotten better, or is it is it really just the pace? Maybe the public's wrong, though. I, I'm not really sure. Well, this was one of the worst defense in basketball for a lot of years in a row, particularly against bigs. They were a bad rebounding team. They got murdered by opposing centers. And then they traded for Nurkic last year, and they went from being like a bottom-five defense to being, I think they were the eighth-ranked defense by defensive efficiency after they acquired Nurkic. And it's it's not a coincidence at all. Nurkic gives them a lot of uh, a lot of rebounding and interior presence. So they went from being a really weak rebounding team to a decent rebounding team. They also have somebody who could defend the paint. So Nurkic, even though he graded out as a really poor defender when he played in Denver, I think there's a lot of indications that it was just kind of effort related and him having a poor relationship with the coaching staff, bad relationship with the front office. So I think just the increased effort because he is a pretty athletic uh, big man, especially for somebody his size. He's really helped their defense, and that is now one of the best defenses in the NBA, and I don't think it's a coincidence. But I just think they were so bad for so long 
that I think the initial reaction when people see the Trailblazers is up, this is going to be a high-scoring game, and it's not necessarily really the case. It's just that this is a good defensive team, and I don't think people have picked up on it yet. Yeah, so that definitely has me less inclined to play Orlando, although I do think Terrence, Terrence Ross is kind of always in play for really cheap value. Um, not and, for me, he's not. <laughs> well, he he's a pretty high-variance player, and I guess that's just normally the case with three-point shooters. I don't know if the numbers have fully bared that out yet this year, but just intuitively it makes sense that a player who's reliant on threes and also steals to some extent will have a lot of variance in their fantasy production if they have a game where they just make a lot of threes. And defensive stats are pretty variable too. But overall, don't really like Orlando's side at all. And then Nurkic is in play, same kind of thing as a high-variance player. Uh, But I don't really have much interest in Portland. All right, so last game on the slate. I like this spot a lot. The Philadelphia 76ers or the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers have been like a sneaky good defensive team. They're actually sixth in defensive efficiency so far this year. But I, I still like this spot for Philly just because Joel Embiid is 8,600, and that's just way too cheap for me. He played 36 minutes in the last game. Even if we were to consider this to be a slightly down matchup, like that's too cheap of a price for Embiid, who is playing basically unrestricted now. He could potentially end up being the highest-priced player in the entire NBA for DFS purposes if he's playing completely unrestricted by the end of the year. So if we look at last game... Against the Clippers, who are also, um, I wouldn't say, they're a below-average defense. They're 22nd in defensive efficiency. But still, he's being guarded by DeAndre Jordan. So it's not it's not exactly a plus matchup for him. But still, uh, Joel Embiid in that matchup, a, a career-high 36 minutes, 32 points and 16 rebounds, 57 DraftKings fantasy points. I mean, him, it, it's just such ridiculous value to me, him playing over 30 minutes at 8,600. So that's a really strong play that I like a lot. And then we have other guys like, T.J. McConnell's been playing extra point guard minutes since Jared Bayless got hurt. And the one place where the Lakers' defense has been really weak has been at the point guard. Uh, Lonzo Ball has not been great at limiting production for DFS purposes. So T.J. McConnell at 4,500, I think he's in play. And then obviously Ben Ben Simmons at 9,100. That's a good play. From the Lakers' side of the game, I think Brooke Lopez is a little interesting in this matchup at 5,300. His minutes have been all over the place. So if we look at... His last few games, he went 31 minutes, 17 minutes, 22 minutes, 21 minutes, and 28 minutes in the last game. I think a matchup against Embiid, this seems like a time that they're going to have to keep Brook Lopez on the floor. I can't imagine if they're going to want to go small against Embiid because he would just destroy them. So I think Brook Lopez at 5,300 is usable in GPPs. I would not roster him in cash games. He could easily end up playing 15 minutes for no reason whatsoever. So we were talking about this before we started uh, trying to figure out what it is about the Lakers that makes their defense better. And I think it is Brooke Lopez and probably Kentavious Caldwell-Pope also. They're two defensive, I guess, better defensively acquisitions. So maybe it makes sense to play Embiid or Lopez. You could, I guess you could make the case that Embiid could easily get Lopez into foul trouble and have a bigger game if he's going against the bench. But also if you're going with the sentiment that if Embiid's playing a lot, Lopez has to stay in to guard him then they both end up playing extra minutes. So I don't know which way I lean on that, but I do have some interest in both players. Uh, Dario Saric also has played over 30 minutes per game over the last four games, and he's only at 4,600. So as far as Sixers fringe guys, where do you land on him? Yeah, I think he's okay. Uh, That would also just be a GPP play for me because he's also had a couple games where the minutes have been a little bit down. Yeah, 4,600. I do think he makes some sense. 
uh, 33 minutes, 27. Yeah, he has been playing a ton of minutes. I thought he had more games with minutes down, but that's not the case. So, yeah, I think 4,600 is a, is a solid play for Dario Saric. Yeah, he's coming off a 34-minute game against the Clippers where he had 11.25 points. So I, I think at the very least he'll be low-owned, which makes him a decent GPP play. But in that many minutes, assuming he doesn't get bumped down for the recent dud that he just had, that's... Uh, that could be my favorite Sixers player after Joel Embiid because I, I strongly agree with you there that he's just too cheap for how good he is. All right, so that's going to finish up today's podcast. Only, I'm pretty sure it's three games on Thursday also, so we probably won't have one for uh, Thursday slate, but we will have the uh, football podcast, and then we'll be back to basketball on Friday. You can follow me on Twitter at GEarenbergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and we'll be back with the football podcast tomorrow.